is our week in the Weege. Hello and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm Natalie Crawford. And I'm Rob Waller. And this week on A Week in the Weege, we hear from a Glasgow uni student who's petitioning food manufacturers after a severe allergic reaction. Glasgow businesses say rising rates and antisocial behaviour could force them to shut up shop. Five years on, we remember the ten people who died and the helicopter crashed through the roof of the Clutha pub. The partner of a murdered Paisley man speaks exclusively to us for the first time. All that and more on this week's Week in the Weege. A very warm hello to you and welcome to Week in the Weege. I'm enjoying this Week in the Weege, are you? Oh aye. I'd have preferred it if it was Week in the Wedge. Aye, or a Week in Barbados. This is a Week in the Weege. Rob Waller, welcome. Hello, this is odd, isn't it? It is very bizarre. This is the first time I am breaking my podcast virginity here today. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm so glad you decided to do it on a week in the week. 22 years I've waited for this moment, Natalie. It oh, feels very special. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, such a busy week. I feel like we've got so much to talk about and so much to cram into such a short space of time. We've left loads out, but let's just get stuck right in onto our first story. Rob, you covered this one, um, did the interview with Oliver Wright. So tell me, first of all, a wee bit about what happened to him, because it's not the first time, is it? It's not the first time. No, Oliver's a a, a young lad, quite a d- dynamic young lad. He's a, he's a student at, uh, Glas- at Glasgow Caledonian University. Dreams of being a reporter one day. We'll, we'll try and put him off that. So there's, there's no money in it. Don't do it, don't do it. But the thing about Oliver, Oliver's got a food allergy. And we've heard of people with peanut allergies. They're the typical mm-hmm. ones, aren't you? Whatever. Um, Oliver's got a problem with spicy food. Particularly, he's got a problem with cumin. Right. Oliver's problem is that cumin is not one of these 14 allergies that food manufacturers are obliged to put on a label. Okay. And every now and then, he'll eat something and have no idea the cumin's in it. So this time it was some sweet and sour sauce. And he uh, went to the supermarket, looked at the uh, the packet, picked it up, checked it. No, no mention of cumin. You know, even gets somebody else, he gives it to somebody else and like, read that. Tell me, I'm not imagining this. There's no cumin in this. And they're like, no, 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 it's cool. And he ate it. And then... It happened, he ended up in hospital. So he's he's calling on these food manufacturers then to to list absolutely every single ingredient that's in their product on the label, which to me just sounds like common sense. So let, let's hear from Oliver. I've had sweet and sour sauces from loads of different places in the past. Chinese food tends to be really um, safe anyway. But it's one of those things that you check the ingredients... I saw nothing, didn't even mention spices or mention spices and then listed like ginger and a few others and I thought that'll be absolutely fine. It, it's not like I was sitting down to it, like eat a curry or something like that because I'd obviously never do that. And obviously he, he, what happens is he goes into anaphylactic shocks. He feels his, his throat closing over mm-hmm. and uh, his uh, flatmates, fortunately they were there with him so they called 999. It's a case of a night in the hospital and uh, loads of steroid in- injections to eventually open up your, your passages and that. And he carries an EpiPen with him. He knows that this is something that can happen. Mm. Um, what cheeses him off is just that it keeps happening. This is like just over a year ago. I think last time it was a barbecue sauce. You know, this time it's a sweet and sour sauce. Same, time, same story each time that you check the ingredients. There's no mention of cumin. It sounds absolutely horrendous for something that would be so simple for for food manufacturers to resolve i think in this instance it was a a blue dragon sauce they said that they're aware of the complaint from oliver um 
and that they're very sorry to hear about it and they're investigating it as a priority but unfortunately the packaging was thrown away so it's not possible for them to figure out if there was cumin in that product but what they're saying is that there shouldn't have been. And they so, say it wasn't in there and it was never supposed to be yeah. in there. They also say when when Oliver talked to them that, um, oh right, um, just send, send, us the, send us the packet, send us a sample of the sauce, we'll sort this out. Trouble is... Uh, where where he lives, um, the uh, it's a student accommodation is in his first year. Cleaners are far too efficient. So while <laughs> he while he was in hospital getting all these steroid injections, cleaners had chucked away the packet. Yeah. So, but I mean, if you so taken... it's impossible to prove whether or not it was in there. Blue Dragon say no, 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 wasn't our source. It wasn't definitely wasn't cumin in there. We think you're allergic to something else. He says I've had test after test after test. I'm really sure that's what it is. We're never going to find out. Until it happens again. It's a week in the Ouija. Glasgow business leaders are warning they're being suffocated by business rates and dirty streets. 29 owner James Mortimer is warning around 20,000 people could be out of a job if more isn't done to tackle the problems in our city. It comes after the latest meeting of the Glasgow Action Group, which we've told you about before on Week in the Weege. Um... They're calling on the city council to encourage more customers into the area. Rob, what what do you think of Glasgow City Centre? Is it clean? Is it a nice place to go and shop and spend your money? Well, as a person who gets up every morning at half past three and I don't live in Glasgow itself, I, I'm not in the city that often. I, do you know, I'm not sure I agree with them. No? I, no, I don't find Glasgow that dirty. In fact... The, uh, but I'm not in there sort of late at night. I'm, mm. I'm not one of these. It may surprise you to learn. I'm not one of these people who comes <laughs> no, staggering <Rob. laughs> out of nightclubs at um, you know three a.m. in the morning because you know I, I I like to be tucked up in my bed at that time because um, I'm a sensible. No, fellow. you mean both. But the times I have been in the city centre recently, I I've never noticed. I I I don't feel that I see that much litter hanging around. Is that because? Are you looking for it or are you just sticking to the main streets? Are you on the style mile on Buchanan Street? Well, yeah, or? and this is mainly sort of around, you know, if I am around town, um, I'll normally get the, the train in or, or the subway and so I'll be popping up at Buchanan Street, subway or St. Enoch or comes in, going between Central Station and Queen Street. So, yeah, in that sort of star mile. And I don't see lots of rubbish hanging around. Yes, lots of people begging. Um, people, you know, we go later in the evening, people are rough sleeping. But in terms of the dirt, no, I... Yeah, I have to say, I'm 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 not entirely with them that the city council is not doing a good enough job on the street cleansing because um, um, it's 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 not been a problem to me. But well, um, as I say, then again, I'm I'm not a party animal. Yeah. Well, let's hear what James Mortimer has to say. Then, like I said, he is the the owner of of Twenty Nine Royal Exchange Square. It's coming to the industry. People who don't want to work, and 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 our industries now because they're fear to go to when they're leaving at night time. They don't know if they're going to get a needle stuck in them. They get hot for money and everything else I mean and people going to Mitchell car park it's a disgrace what's there what's happening to Mitchell you know uh, the boy for Ross's bar yesterday he used to soap three of them hitting up outside his lane yesterday to get them out and there was a suggestion during the meeting about this additional fund to put another kind of action business improvement district together what's your thoughts on that well, I, I think it's, it's all right saying that, but I, th- I think everybody's paying enough rates. Everybody's paying enough rates. 
So that was the suggestion that came out of this Glasgow Action Group earlier this week. Uh, The council has suggested putting together an improvement district, which basically means it's a defined geographical area and every business within that area will put in an extra couple of pounds every year an extra couple of hundred pounds every year. <laughs> yes. And that would contribute to extra wardens, extra police, whatever their priorities for that area would be. But the other problem facing businesses is they already feel they pay enough and they feel that that's what their the rates that they pay already should be going towards without having to pay additional fees. You'd struggle to find anybody who, who thinks that they should pay more taxes or more levies. So to an extent, yeah, you know, I mean, they would say that wouldn't they? Um, I've lived in a place, I live in a place where there has been one of these business improvement um, districts. And I have to say it was very controversial. Um, It really got you all, a lot of businesses, you know, some people were really for it, some some weren't, the ones who weren't, uh, didn't like the fact that the vote had gone their way. It was, you know, it's kind of like sort of, mini sort of Brexit upon the small (laughs) traders in my town. And they didn't like, you know, what the money had been spent on. So, it has worked in other cities like New York. I can see where the city, the city's, city council is coming from on this. And there's there's also an element, I think, of, um, well, put your money where your mouth is. You know, if, if, if you want something done, the city council is saying, here's a way you can do it. So come on, show us, show us what it is that you want done. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is the last we'll be hearing from the Glasgow Action Group on Week in the Week. Our Week in the Week. So, five years after the helicopter crash at the Clutherbolt pub in Glasgow, there's uh, plans for a memorial, which we heard about this week. Ten people died back in 2013, and the part of the pub that was destroyed that night has never reopened. Yeah, so I actually wasn't with Clyde five years ago. You'll be shocked to hear, Rob, but, but you were, so yeah. let, let's... Let's go back five years, first of all, and, and just remind ourselves of, of, of what happened that night. Before 11pm, the aircraft was seen spiralling out of the air before hitting the roof of the Cliffa Bar. Parts of the wreckage are still... I jumped into the pub with everyone else and tried to pull people out. What happened, they formed a human chain and you were past injured and unconscious people and you were past them and you just passed them on to the next person so eventually that human chain would take people out of the pub. I just flew by as in gradual rain and we just heard two big bangs and we thought it was actually a shooting. Just see carnage on top of the cliff of all. So, what what was it like that night, Rob, from your perspective? Well, I I remember I wasn't uh, in the office. I was sitting at home uh, on the sofa uh, that night and just suddenly started seeing all these reports coming through um, on on your phone and then you, you turned on the television and it's a sense of disbelief. It just seems so impossible that you know, that some of that can happen and it quickly became you know, obvious which aircraft was involved. It was very clear. You could see that it was a police helicopter and abiding memories are just one of those moments where sort of Glasgow comes together and was just like a, a little village because you know, everybody you know had either been to the pub or knew somebody was in the pub. Um, I particularly remember politicians like you know, at the time a big figure you know, Jim Murphy, who was there, who, who went in and we interviewed when he was getting people out. And it, it just had that sort of, you know, community sense that, you know, you wouldn't get, I don't think, in, in, in other parts of the, the the country. Obviously, you've had, had terror incidents in, in Manchester and London that have been appalling. But it was that moment where, where Glasgow suddenly became a village. And it seemed to be, as well, just so soon after the uh, bin lorry crash in, in George Square, it was like, you know, what, yeah, it was... A couple of years, wasn't it? But even so, it was like, you know, oh, another thing, you know, that sense of disbelief. Yeah. 
one of the things that I find not fascinating, fascinating is the, the wrong word, it's almost disbelief is the fact that we're talking about this five years after the fact, 10 people have died and their families still don't have answers. We're still waiting on the fatal accident inquiry. That's to take place It's a big issue of all year. things, actually. I mean, you're in, yeah. in quest fatal accident inquiries and they're getting longer and longer and longer. I can remember back to uh, the uh, Dunblane uh, massacre. Now, yeah. that happened in the what was it, the uh, spring of 1996, I think it was, and I think by, by 1998, you know, or even maybe it was 97, but certainly you know, within a couple of years, yeah. there had been a huge I- I- inquiry and the results been heard. I think if that, if that had happened, if this happened again today, we'd be waiting years, you know, years and years, and these things have to, have to proceed a lot faster. I mean, they surely cannot. Uh, I'm no forensic engineer. But there are very clever people who have examined this this aircraft and all the data from it. They've been poring over it for years. You know, what what more are we waiting for? I just get the sense we're waiting for the lawyers. It's always just we're waiting for the lawyers because somebody has got an argument and wants to pick something about something. But, but as you say, you know, families want answers. And you know, I have to say, you talk about you what know, I remember about that night. Five years on, I can't look at a helicopter in the sky. Especially one that one that's hovering, yeah, and not think about clues and how difficult. And, you know, and I wasn't there; I was I was miles away mm-hmm. that night. I wasn't in the city. What it must be like for people who were there that night, and and something that I always think of, and it's, it's a question I think for our our industry when you, when you see so many uh, TV, uh, breaking news, live TV, you'll have a helicopter hovering o- over over a situation. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, ever since that happened in, in, in Glasgow at the Cluthy, you just think, I really don't think this is a good idea. No. And again, of course, bring, you know, would have brought back memories when the Leicester City owner's helicopter crash has taken off the stadium. You know, I mean, they're, you know, they're risky technology, always have been or always will be. You know, maybe we need to think a lot more uh, about, uh, you know, using using drones and things rather than you know, rather than these risky, risky devices. Well, Another person that's that wants answers, um, particularly out of the fatal accident inquiry, is is Alan Crossan, who, of course, we know owns the Clutha Bar. Our reporter Kerry Ann Doherty went down to the Clutha this week to speak to him, and something that I was really fascinated to know, and and she asked him, is obviously this happened five years ago, and he went from the owner to the of the Clutha to the owner of the Clutha. So how I mean, how has it affected him personally? It's been certainly different, that's for sure, you know, because we never, I mean, I always kept a low profile with, with everything I've done, you know, in past lives I've done different things like photography and, and advertising and that sort of thing, you know, but it was, it was always a low profile, I never really went to your face out there and nobody really knew me in the pub either, you know, but, you know, you've kind of thrown into the limelight, if you like, so that's a wee bit difficult, don't particularly like that. Uh, one of the positive things, the charity, obviously, the Clutha Trust, which gives me a lot of joy, getting a pub back up and running and the things that we do with that, it was a bit of achievement which we achieved, you know, and it's not everybody wants different ideas of what you should be done with it, you know, but we, we do take it forward, percentage of people, high percentage of people prefer it like that. Alan Crossan there, talking about how the, the tragedies mm. affect and Obviously, this is, this is something you've been working on, you've, you've talked to Alan quite a lot. How do you feel about... The fact that the part of the building where, where the crash happened has not been restored or put back to you, do you think it should be permanently left or 
Or, or would your feeling be that you'd, you'd like to, to see it rebuilt? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we see, you know, houses and in, in buildings where there's been atrocities, where there have been, you know, disasters like these or, or murders or whatever it may be, and they get condemned and they get knocked down and they never get brought back into use because the general feeling is that somebody wouldn't want to, to be there knowing what had happened. I think what Alan's trying to do with the Clutha Trust is such a, a positive thing and I know he's got ideas for a permanent memorial which I, I think would be absolutely brilliant and a real place for people to go and, and remember the, the 10 that died. I, I'm really I'm really not sure and I think the decision needs to lie in the hands of those that lost their loved ones. I think it's it's really up to them. Yeah, I, I think I think by, by instinct I'm a restorer. I think, you know, because, you know, when all these things happen in your life, do you understand? You know, life has to. We all have to to move on and look look to the future. And um, I'd 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 like to think that um, you know, the the best way to remember those people is for people to continue going on, being able to um, you know, celebrate you know their their lives and, and enjoy themselves in that space. I mean, I'm enjoying this week in the wedge. Are you? Oh, aye. I'd have preferred it if it was week in the wedge. Aye, or a week in Barbados. The family of a murdered Paisley dad is exclusively telling Clyde News they're desperate for answers from the Scottish government over the attack. 31-year-old Craig McClelland was stabbed to death by James Wright in July last year. Wright was out on licence at the time of the attack and had broken off his electronic tag. His partner Stacey is now calling on Justice Secretary Humza Yusuf to carry out a public inquiry into the circumstances surrounding Craig's death. She spoke exclusively to me this week. I think a public inquiry is not just for answers for me and the boys and for the family and all the rest of it and to like actually see a picture of what it looks like. It's also um, the fact that Craig represents the public. Like that night, if Craig didn't go out, somebody was going to be murdered. Like so, um, it was obvious by things that were said and all that that this was going to happen. It was premeditated. Somebody was going to die that night. Um, and unfortunately it was Craig, but Craig represents anybody and that is terrifying for the public. Like, that could have been your daughter, your son, your uncle, your nephew, your, anybody. It could have been anybody. So that's why I think it's very important that the public realise that we do need this public inquiry because this the system is not right and it needs reevaluated. And see, talking about that the system's going to be more robust, but it should have been robust all along. Like, I don't believe that. They're trying to say they're going to make differences to something that should have already been in place. And I don't like I, I don't agree with that. So Craig McClellan's girlfriend, Stacey there. The Scottish government says it's determined to support the family and to ensure lessons are learned. Rob, surely this is a, a no-brainer. Surely there has to be a public inquiry into Craig's death. I don't know whether it needs a public inquiry necessarily because just as you were talking about with the fatal accident inquiry, that will put this back years and years and years. What it needs is somebody to knock heads together and uh, as uh, Stacey was saying just and just ask the question, hang on, somebody somebody cuts off an electric tag and nobody goes looking for them? Well, and nothing's done about it? That sure, We don't need a public inquiry. Just Let's just sort that. Well, that I've, can't be right. That can just be sorted. Well, I think the problem is, is that for the last, you know, year and a bit, since since July last year when Craig was murdered, Stacey and the McClellan family have been asking these questions and they're not getting the answers. 
which is why they're now calling for this public inquiry. They keep getting told, generally, this is what we do. This is how we do it. But no one's actually addressing the question of of why nobody followed up specifically with James Wright after he cut off his electronic tag and the Scottish Prison Service received the notification that he'd breached his, his curfew. Nobody followed that up. There was no process to take him back to jail. No argument that things you know need to change and, and that's not acceptable. I, I just wonder whether just keeping a lot of lawyers busy for, for a number of years is the most effective way to actually do it. This is a week in the Ouija. So we're almost at the end of the show. Before we go, though, uh, time to find out how good our Glasgow geography is as we play Where in the Ouija. Yes, every week one of us takes a turn to guess what part of Glasgow in the West the other is talking about. If you have missed it somehow, basically based on three clues, the first point is worth the first clue is worth three points. The second worth is worth two, and the first this third clue this is. See, but the point, this point in, in Week in the Ouija, I just completely lose the plot. I get nervous. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I'm absolutely rubbish at this, Rob. Honestly, absolutely terrible. I've played against Colin and I've played against Selena and I've lost against them both. <laughs> and now I'm going to lose against you as well because I have absolutely no doubt in my mind you are going to smash this. Okay then, come on. Okay, so your first clue. Uh-huh. This area was owned by the Gibsons from 1702 to 1862. Where am I? No idea. None? No. Not even want to hazard a guess? No. Okay. Many of the city's independence shops and restaurants are in this fashionable area. Fashion? I don't do fashion. Oh. Um, <laughs> am, I allow, am I allowed guesses with this yes, game? Yes, of course you are. Right. Um, Merchant City? No. No, West End. Byers mm, Road. Mm, mm. Ashton Lane. So my third clue, this area is home to Byers Road and Ashton Lane. Where am I? Oh, okay. Hillhead? Yes, well done. Right, I think you should have made the rules a little clearer. <laughs> if oh, you told me you looking mean... for an actual district, I still didn't... Well, it's an area. It is. Where in the weeds. Okay, tell it's me about the Gibsons area. then. Oh, I have no idea. I've just, it's right, just what I've got written in this bit of paper. You're no better than I am then. So don't you go thinking there's any bragging. Any bragging at all. Yeah, well, you got a point. You bet me. You guessed it. I, Man, did, I didn't bet you. I beat you. Oh, for goodness sake. You're not getting back. You you bet whether or not I would beat you. A grammar lesson from Rob Waller. For Always. Every day. Every, 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 every day. day's a school every day, day, Natalie. Every day's a school day. It certainly is. You're not getting back on my podcast, though. <laughs> I have enjoyed it, though. Thanks. A Week in the Ouija is a Radio Clyde News production. For the latest around the clock, follow on Twitter at Radio Clyde News. That brings us to the end of today's uh, Week in the Weeds. Join us again next time. More on the biggest stories across Glasgow and the West. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, and I'll see you next time on A Week in the Weeds. I probably won't. 